welcome to our third podcast in our Culture Coaching with Priority Learning podcast series, where we discuss organizational culture, leadership, and making a positive difference in your workplace and work life. So today, we have Ralph Twombly sitting with us here. How are you doing today, Ralph? I'm terrific, Michael. This is the third time we've done this. I'm enjoying this. Seems to be going pretty well. So our topic today is how to create a learning organization. And one of the fundamental things of being a human being is learning. It's an ingrained part of the human experience. And as we get older, adult learning is something that we need to continue in and make sure that we're following through because if we're standing still, well, then the world's probably going to pass us by. So, Ralph, what do people need to learn? I guess the first word that comes into my head is balance. All right. And so let me explain a little bit. I think we think sometimes that people just need to learn their business. You know, if you're if you're an accountant, then you want to learn how to be a good accountant. So you learn more about accounting and all that kind of stuff. But lives don't work like that. Lives don't, more than half of our waking hours are not spent at work, right? So you're, you're sitting around and you're thinking, what do people need to learn? Well, what is that old saying? All work and no play makes Jack a dull boy, right? So I would tell you that rounding out learning in, in any organization is about also giving lessons that come home, that you can live throughout your entire life. We've learned some of this over time because it wasn't that many years ago that the average person in the workplace brought a pack of cigarettes with them every day, smoked at their desk. You know, we started to find out that that really didn't work. And then, you know, there's all kinds of, we were feeding people the wrong stuff. We were, we were creating environments. So what do people need to learn? I think what people need to learn is things that add value to their lives and things that add value to their work simultaneously. So why? people need to learn? I think it's a great question. You covered it a little bit on the intro. I think learning is as natural as getting out of bed every morning or the sun coming up in the east. I think we are all hardwired to learn. We cannot not learn. So if it's going to happen and we're lucky enough to run an organization or lead an organization where we can have a voice in that, then it becomes a responsibility. So what? why do people need to learn? Because it's natural and normal. I think what's interesting is, is the dynamic that was created, I think, even before me. And that was to check your brain at the door. That was a mindset that, was, that went on in society. And the, and the mindset was, look, I'm the boss, so I make the decisions and you don't. And so you go do your work and I will make my job decisions, right? And so the first time you bring the boss an idea, he's going, no, no, you didn't hear me. You're, you're not paid to think, you're paid to do. Now, over a long period of time, and this actually went on for a long, long time, people generally learned, because we're smart, to check our brains at the door. Mm. And what you ended up with was a segment of our society, if you've been in the wrong places at the wrong time, that come to work now and immediately check their brain at the door and go, wait a minute, I'll be over there in my corner, I'll be doing the work that you've allocated to me, and I'm out of here at 4.30, please don't bother me. That to me is a lost, that's the lost audience these days. Mm -hmm. So I think why we need to do it is because innovation is vital to every job. Innovation is vital to every business. It's the one thing we're lacking in our society right now. And if we don't find it in this generation right now, how to be more innovative at work, we're going to lose our, our amazing capitalist 
system that we all like, you know, building homes and buying cars. And we've got to be more innovative and can't do that without learning. So, mm. uh, but you can't just be one way. It's not all about the company. It's innovation in our lives. It's innovation in our, in raising our children. It's innovation in, in the way we, we prosper in this lifetime. So what would you say to the employees who feel like they go into those jobs and they, they don't even have a choice? Because, I mean, it's, it's changing. You know, business culture, especially in America, is going through an overhaul but we still have those classically ingrained, check your brain at the door, I'll make all the decisions. So, I mean, and it can't always be as simple as, we'll just get a better job, get a different job, because. No, that's, that's, a, lazy, that's a lazy answer. I, I think, um, first of all, those jobs and, and those people who perpetuate those jobs, not the people themselves, but the leaders, are becoming a dying generation. They are, mm -hmm. and I, and I uh, you know, many of them live in my generation, so. I'm not necessarily proud of that, but I will tell you that I'm going to be glad when they retire. Hmm. Because the new generation of people, while it's much more complicated and much more difficult, understand the idea of this whole concept of learning. And when you welcome people's ideas, it, it, there's, a, there's an old saying in, in most work environments these days, and I don't, it's not my quote, um, success begets success. So when you've had a good idea adopted, uh, and many of us are here today as leaders because we had an early idea adopted and we went, that felt pretty good. Hmm. Somebody, somebody considered my idea. And so you put in a second idea. Now, it wouldn't, didn't take you long before they considered you an idea person. An idea person isn't much of a stretch to leader, right? So I think we've got to cre recreate these innovative environments. And I think that uh, right now, everybody talks about it. Very few people are doing anything about it. Mm. It's going to live in culture. It's going to live in the environment you said. It's going to live in leadership. But you've got to open up your mind, and you can't be the only person with a good idea. On the other side, what would you say to the, other than retire already, what would you say to the employers who maybe have been the check-your-brain-at-the-door leader who are learning that that's not the way to go anymore? How do they stretch out of that position? I, I would say that, let me do this this way, it's either going, you're either going to do something about it or it's going to do something to you. Mm. And here's, the, here's the, the maxim, I think, when you think about it. Employees love so much being a part of an engaged organization, they will simply go there. And many times they'll go there for less money. Now, that's how big a deal it actually is. So if you want to risk losing all your people to somebody else and it not being about money, but being about the environment, then then you will end up losing your people. I think sometimes that's what it takes. It takes leverage to make change. Now, if you're enlightened enough and you're engaged enough to learn something yourself and to build something that's engaging, good on you. You will make the changes necessary. And I'm kind of the guy that goes, I don't want to hear the, the, the old thing, I'm too old to learn. Mm. That's just not accurate, first of all, and it's, and it's lazy. It, it's just what it is. So I know people uh, my age don't want to hear that. I honestly don't care. So <laughs> I, don't, I don't think you're tuned in to hear what you always heard. And they got to change, and they got to do it soon because, quite honestly, there are people coming who will embrace your people and their ideas. And by the way, it's addictive for employees. Mm. It's addictive. They love it. And, and people go, oh, my God, an idea a minute. 
the employees have to get over the idea that every idea will be captured too. Ideas are amazing, but they all have a timeline, right? Yeah. You might be five years ahead of your organization. Mm. So you got to remember that everything has a timeline. And, and I love the, the, just read a story about somebody who invented the, the uh, rollaway vacuum, you know, the one that goes yeah. across the floor and went to, went to, went to patent and on his way to the patent office, walked by a store where they were selling them in the window. Somebody else invented it first. <laughs> so ideas have a timeline, they're perishable. And, and to me, that's the new craft inside of our, being innovative, being, re, being uh, able to respond. And just because it is, you know, kind of sitting right next to it and related to the topic, how, how does the introvert and extrovert employee slash employer play into that? Because some people listening might sit there and go, well, you know, I, I don't I don't like being, but I like checking my brain at the door. I like not having to interfere or, or be a part of the, you know, the water cooler talk. But that doesn't mean that they should be checking their brain at the door. You're absolutely right. And, and let me it, it lives in a process. So let me let me uh, we're going to get on a little different topic here, but we'll try to stay on time. There are innovation is not is not a person. Okay, because innovators are people like Steve Jobs and, P and Thomas Edison and, you know, we can go on and on. Alexander Graham Bell, these kind of people were innovators. Innovation is a system. And so creating a system inside of your organization is creating a pathway where people, introverted and extroverted, can get together on an idea, but you've got to have a process as to how to do it. So it's one of the things that we spend an awful lot of time with here. For instance, we... Uh, Way to educate employees is not to run them around and put them in everybody's seat. <laughs> the way to do that is to get them together in a group and have them draw a big tree on a flip chart. And on that tree, there are a bunch of branches, and those branches can have the names of all the various parts of your organization. And all of a sudden now we've created a visual that even the most entry-level person can see. And all of the branches and the leaves represent all the, all the outputs of those departments. Now, when you do that with post-its and you do it as a group, there's something that happens to the human mind, no matter how deeply introverted you are or how extroverted you are. And it brings you to the same place where now it becomes almost impossible to not participate. Hmm. So what happens now, the next question is, what would you like to have that you don't have in your tree? And we get people to write on post-its, not shout it out because the extroverts have the advantage. Mm. So we have them write it and they all have to be quiet until they've written down a couple of post-its. And then they get to go put them on the tree and then they have a discussion. And you always come up with a better idea mm. every single time. And it's a way in which introverts thrive. You know, you can't expect them to be spontaneous. And me being introverted and having all my life lived with this introversion, early in my life, I think people considered introverts slow. I think they're just slow to speak. That generally their mind is yeah. whirling around like everybody else's mind. They just can't seem to get the words out of their mouth as well yeah. or as quickly. And sometimes they can do it as well, but they can't do it as quickly. And they get left behind. And they yeah. were always considered maybe dullards. Well, there's no such thing. And so you got to create systems inside of organizations for introverts to thrive. And usually these systems are driven by extroverts, so it's hard. Yep. You know, they expect everybody to do the shout out, right? Shout it out. And by the time that you get to the introvert, everything's been shouted out, right? So I think it's, it's one of those. So I guess the thing to remember coming full circle, I didn't mean to go on too far, is that innovation is a system. Hmm. 
in, in, uh, innovators are our people. I don't know about you, I've never been a great innovator. I, I, just, I just don't have that kind of gift that Steve Jobs of life have. But building a system, anybody can do it. Build mm -hmm. a system as long as you know how. And you can build a system where introverts and extroverts can thrive together. I just think that's an important point to say, because I think a lot of people say, all right, well, this is the path for introverts and this is the path for extroverts and, you know, you're going to go in different directions. And there is a truth to that, but there's a crossover and, a, and an integration that needs to be a part of that in a communal sense when you're making a business culture, organizational culture, that everyone feels part of the team and that, like you say, that system honors the people who are introverted to feel like they can participate. So to come to the kind of title of our work, I mean, it's a leadership craft. Okay. You know, that's, I always think of that as craft. And I, and I so admire, because I work with all these companies, I so admire the ones that they, crafty, I think, has got the title of being like manipulative. I just think it's good craft. Mm. In other words, if you're, a, uh, if you're an architect, you have craft. You know how to make a drawing and you use your brain to see things other people can't see. Well, leadership's much the same way. If you're going to create an innovation system, basically it takes the craft of how do you do that. And that's just, I just talked to you about the tree. There are 50 ways to do this yeah. and to bring an audience in. So do you see more businesses implementing a learning organization? I, the answer is yes. And let me, let me tell you why. Because we experience it here at Priority Learning. Our business is robust, and it's robust not because we've been around for as long as we have, but sometimes, you know, you create something and the audience isn't ready. Well, these days the audience is ready, so we're not we're no longer having to fight for every inch of ground. Now these days people come to us more often, and I don't think it's name recognition or things like podcasts. I think people just have a need, and they and they're starting to see more and more of a need. And I and to some degree I think. The pandemic will actually benefit people long-term in this regard. I think they miss, leaders miss having people present so they can do things like create innovation. Yeah. And, and so their craft needs to be better. And I think there's a greater demand. And if we come back full circle and maybe something we talked about in a previous podcast, women are impacting this greatly too. Yeah. Women, women seem, to, seem to be, I don't want to get into science, I don't have any. Uh, women seem to be great in innovation systems builders. Hmm. So, yeah, it, it's great fun too. And I and I think that when you do it and you and you're a leader, think about it. You only have to be the facilitator. You don't have to drive ideas anymore, and that's hard work. Hmm. It always was for me. I mean, I got to be the guy with the right idea, <laughs> with all these smart people around me, and I got to be there. Just build a system, and all the ideas will come flowing out. You can take credit for being the facilitator. What are some of the drawbacks to implementing a learning organization? I think, the, first of all, good learning organizations are, are require great support from leadership. Good and bad times. Bad times will create people going, they get stressed. And what happens was they start to cut out things that they think are peripheral. Mm. <clears throat> and because you can't put your fingers on what's going on in a learning organization, it can very quickly be the casualty of bad times. Mm. It shouldn't be. It, it, it's it, you. People don't realize it, but it doesn't really cost you much, but it really doesn't hurt you much either. Either. So one of the things that one of the real drawbacks is people who see it as um, a run alongside. 
okay, think about your organization moving forward. They think of it as something that runs alongside of the organization. I would tell you it's something that is part of the soul of an organization. Yeah, it's in the pack. It's not next to the pack. So when people start to think of it as a run along, then it's in jeopardy. And, mm -hmm. and I think learning organizations who are started and then not completed become places where people bail out. Yep. We recently had a client who was considering a merger and the, the merging company was going to turn over leadership. They're going to be the people who are going to lead the new organization. And the older organization had amazing culture. Mm. They literally told the CEO at the time that they were going to, 50% of the workforce was going to disappear. They were going to all quit. Now, it wasn't a threat. They just wanted to put him on notice because they were so loyal and they cared so much about him. And they told him, I'm sorry, but if you do this, I'm going, we're going to leave. And the whole reason for the merger was because these folks were so good. Yeah. And immediately they called off the merger. Yeah. So people are getting it. Now, it wasn't that many years ago that money would have been the driver. Right. They would have simply said, if you can make more money, we'll do it. These days, people are starting to realize that the most precious commodity they have is their people. One of the leading draws to people, one of the benefits of, of being part of an organization is continuous learning. And I think uh, just in an economic sense, from my observations is that when you focus on that it ends up being more profitable in the long run anyway it does so you can sit there and you can make a short deal and try to make a quick buck but five years down the road you're going to be in trouble again right. or it might even not take might not even take that long the first so. time we ever did a cultural uh, program for a client years and years ago we thought uh, I think we fell into the trap that a lot of people fall into thinking that it was a feel-good initiative a way to engage people it turned out to be a moneymaker for the organization, and they were the ones who started to tell the story. And I remember the CEO standing up and saying to other people, I didn't know that we could do this and also make a better uh, product. Yeah. And, and it turned out to be a learning lesson for all of us here at Party Learning. And it's become the kind of the, the watchword for clients who are interested in culture. I think it feels great. I think it makes people engaged. I think it's, it's in people feel empowered. Which mm. is, these are all great words. But a lot of people go, well, I, tell me what the... Tell me what the where the bank for the How buck is. the bottom line. <clears throat> Where's the bank for the buck? And and you, you can say it's a little bit like um, sending your kid off to college. Now your kids pay a lot of money for college. Uh, Michael, nobody knows better than you. <laughs> and and you sit back and you go, why? Well, it's not about going to college, right? There's always a game at the end of it that says better prepared, better ready, uh, more valuable. And I don't think people, we, we live in an immediate world. We want to see, mm -hmm. a, uh, they want to, we've gotten things into our lexicon of language like ROI and return on asset and all these kind of things where we're looking for something quick. Give me this, I'll give you that kind of thing. This is one of those things where you pay in, but you get back great dividend mm -hmm. long term. But it takes a while. It's not something you're going to see in six months. It might not be something you see in a year, but you're going to see it. Yeah. Well, it's a committed process that yeah. if you fall short on, you're going to find yourself either back to square one or even further back from there. So, And, and if you're a leader who's thinking event to event to event to event, you're probably not going to embrace hmm. the learning organization. You really aren't. Uh, so, But if you're somebody who sits back and can squint, look down the road and go, boy, if my people are smarter, will they make better decisions? Will they stay with me longer? Will they create better quality for our customers? Mm. But, you know, and the answer, of course, is yes. And so you're going to have to have some vision. Yeah. You're going to have to have some vision. I think uh, one of the things that people don't realize is once you get your 
team, your crew, whoever, all on the same page and pushing in the same direction instead of just, you know, putting in the minimal effort or whatever the lowest expectation is and then having a wide field of variation. Well, the, it, the cart moves a lot faster when we're all pushing in the same direction. <laughs> I agree with you. So, great. Well, Ralph, thank you so much for sitting down with us and talking about how to create a learning organization. For anybody that's interested, find Priority Learning at PriorityLearningResearch.com. You can always call or find more information on the website to possibly schedule in a coaching consultation. Or if you're interested in the many workshop series for developing people of potential, associates, new leaders, all sorts of things in the Priority Learning catalog. So feel free to visit PriorityLearningResearch.com. And Ralph, thank you again for joining me today. Thank you, Michael. You're a, you're a wonderful host. I appreciate it. Pay attention for the next podcast, <laughs> which will be coming up if you subscribe to our channel, wherever you happen to be listening to us, should get a notification or see that new podcast come up. And you'll hear us then. I, I can tell you right now, I can think of five more. So, <laughs> so well, this culture coaching with priority learning series will keep going. So you can rest assured that there'll be more.